Episode 166 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with the late great English footballer Martin Peters, who was an important part of the only England team to have won the World Cup. Known as the Ghost and the Complete Midfielder, Martin had a very successful career at club level, most notably for West Ham and Tottenham Hotspur. But it's for his part in the 1966 World Cup final at Wembley that he'll always be best remembered, scoring the second of England's goals in the famous 4-2 win over Germany. Two years later, Martin was described by the England manager Sir Alf Ramsey as being ten years ahead of his time. He also played in the 1970 World Cup and captained England in the crucial match against Poland when they failed to qualify for the 1974 World Cup. A true gentleman, Martin Peters, sadly died in 2019 at the age of 76. My interview with him took place at his home in Essex in 1998, when he talked about his life from the very beginning. I was born in the east end of London, Plasto, at 11.43, in my grandmother's house. My mum and dad lived with my grandmother during the war, day, war years, obviously. I lived there until I was six. And then my mum and dad got a house, a council house, in Dagenham, right. Essex. And uh, we moved there when there was green fields and cornfields all around the place. It was quite amazing, really. We talked about 1949, 50. Yeah, yeah. They went to school there and started playing football there and played for the under-11s for the school team. Was football in your family at all? Uh, not at that level, no. My uncle played a bit, my dad played a bit before he broke his leg, but uh, not to a high level. But sporting family, though, but not uh, at a higher level at all. I think there's a distant cousin that played for West Brom, I believe. Mm. What profession were your parents involved in? Well, my dad was a Thames lighterman, if you know what that is. Yeah. It's really just uh, taking the barges up and down the River Thames and uh, taking them to one dock and one wharf to another and right. redistributing them wherever they had to go. And it's handed down from father to son. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one stage, I'm always going to be following my father's footsteps because at one stage it was quite a big job and it was you could only get it father, son, handed down. Right. And uh, I used to go on the river with my dad in the six weeks holidays and was learning yeah. when I was 14, right. 13, 14. Had a couple of weeks on the river with him. And I was learning it. And uh, Presumably by 13, 14, you were, everybody noticed your talent by then as a footballer, you'd have thought. Well, maybe so, but I was only playing for Dagenham Schoolboys. I wasn't mm. at 13, you know. Mm. I was playing for the under-13s and under-15s at the same time because I played a year above myself at that particular stage in the under-15s when I was 13, Terry Venables was in the mm. under-15 side. For Dagenham. I, for Dagenham, mm. yeah. So I played a year above myself with Terry mm. because Terry was the, I suppose, at those days, you know, he was the, the golden boy because he played for England schoolboys as mm. well. Whether as a footballer or at any other role in life, did anybody ever tell you when you were young that you would be a star one day? No, of course not. No, I just love football. That's all I did, football for all the winter and cricket in the summer. I mean, that's all we ever did in those days because that's all that was about, really. Mm. I think that's where we maybe lose some people nowadays to, you know, the computer things that are around today that kids play. Well, we didn't just didn't have them. We just played football or cricket, and that was mm. it, basically. Did you think you were a little bit special, though? Did you know you had a special talent? No, I didn't think that way at all. My first trial for the school team was in goal. It's the under-11s when I was nine. And I didn't get in. The next year I got in at centre-forward and then it went on from there and uh, Dagenham schoolboys, I played centre-half. Mm. And 
No, I, I just enjoyed it. I didn't think about... It didn't even come into my head about professional football. And you know, I was going to follow my father's trade. I was going to be a Thames lighterman. That was the way it was going to go. And until I was 13-14, stroke 14, when I was playing above the level, I had another year to go at school. A scout from Fulham came round, and he'd seen me playing for the under-15s, but I still had another year. And uh, my dad had a chat with him and said, well, you know, he's still got another year to go. He didn't realise I was still a year younger than everyone else in the team. And my dad just said to him, well, you know, if he goes into football, my dad was against it, by the way. He wanted me to go uh, his trade. Um, he'll go to Fulham because you were the first one here. Mm. But by the next year come round, I was playing for Essex schoolboys, England schoolboys, London mm. schoolboys. All the clubs came round, obviously, and uh, mm. obviously my dad couldn't be held to going to Fulham. <laughs> but he chose it for me. Mm. He chose it. He said, well, that's the local club and the... The, uh, the scout was a really, really nice man called Wally St. Pierre, mm-hmm. who got on to people like Bobby Moore and Jeff Hurst nice. and Superman. Unfortunately, he's not with us anymore, but right. he was a lovely, lovely man. And right. he, he was a really guiding influence for getting me to West Ham through my father, really. So, who did you actually support as a youngster and why? Well, I used to play. I used to play for Dagenham Schoolboys in the morning, watch Dagenham in the afternoon because mm. they played on the same pitch. Mm. The odd time I used to go to West Ham, the odd time, but not on a regular basis. I mean, it was my local club, coming Dagenham. What league were Dagenham in? Oh, one of the Ishmael Nantian leagues, one of those. But it was, we played on the pitch in Dagenham Arena in the morning, Mm. and I used to watch them in the afternoon, Mm. and at Victoria Road, when they went to Victoria Road. Did you have any football idols when you were a kid? I can't say I did. No, I was just, I was totally focused on playing. Mm. You know, I didn't, uh, not like today where the... uh, the players are in the media, you know, the Beckhams mm. and Sherryhams and Ginolas, you know, it's all mm. high profile and the kids love them. We never seemed to have that. That was never around. I mean, if you look at maybe when I was 13, 14, in the mid-50s, Stanley Matthews, I guess, and Tom Finney maybe, but they mm. were never media people, really. Mm. The cup final in 53, I always used to sit with my dad and watch the cup final, and mm. Stanley Matthews was the... 1953 mm-hmm. Cup Final, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And what's that? And but never, I never had anyone that was outstanding and thought, "Oh, I want to be like him. Or I want to do that." Because mm-hmm. I, was, I wasn't going into it. So you started off at West Ham. Yeah, joined West Ham. West Ham when I was 15 in 1959, uh, as what they called a ground staff boy, and that was in the summer. I stayed on especially because I, I should have left school really after Christmas because I was 15 in November. But I stayed on, hopefully, to play at Wembley for England schoolboys. And uh, managed to keep in the England team and played at, at Wembley. And uh, I think who, else was, who else was playing in those days, especially at West Ham and for England and for schoolboys? Oh well, the schoolboy level, there was only one really who made it. That was Chris Lawler, who was oh, yeah. a centre half and right back for Liverpool. Mm-hmm. He was centre half the England boys team. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of other lads. Alan Baker played for uh, Villa, and George Sharples played for Everton, but they never really got into the team. Mm-hmm. So it was just Chris and myself really. Mm-hmm. Another guy was there. Brian Deere, who also played for West Ham when I was there. He was in England schoolboys as well. So, not that many, I guess. And when did you make your professional debut as a senior, as it were? Good Friday, 62. It was virtually the end of the season. It was obviously Easter. And West Ham were not... They couldn't go down. They couldn't win anything. And uh, Ron Greenwood decided to make a few changes and blood a few youngsters. And I was fortunate to be, to be blooded. On the Good Friday, we played Cardiff at home which I played the old position of right half. We won 4-1. Did you? Did you score? Mm, no, I didn't score. <laughs> no, no, no. But I did OK. The very next day, we were at home to Arsenal, which uh, started at right half, 
The goalkeeper, Laurie Leslie, got injured, mm-hmm. went off and came back and played on the right wing. John Lyle, who you may remember, yeah, he West Ham manager, winning goal. Yeah. I went to left back, so you can remember that. And on the Monday, because we used to play Good Friday, Saturday and the Monday, the Monday was the reverse fixture at Cardiff. And uh, we had another goalkeeper in called Brian Rhodes. And uh, Ron Grimmer decided to play me at left back, started me at left back. And Brian Rhodes got injured, and right. I went in goal and uh, let one in. Right. But uh, we lost 3 1, I think, on no. the day. But I mean, it was such an unbelievable baptism, really. Three positions in uh, three games at 18. I was only 18. You have an amazing memory for those early days. Is that because you loved them so much and they meant so much to you? It was just so exciting, wasn't it? I mean, as a schoolboy, I loved playing football. Mm. I mean, it was just... It's all I ever did, you know, mm. the cricket and the football. It was my life, really, and it's just been my life ever since. And, and obviously getting into the first team, I had my debut when I was 18, and mm. was fantastic. And to, mm. to play that particular period with some great players, I mean, Jeff was in and out the side of that stage, and Bobby obviously was always in the side. Mm. And some of the kids I came up with, Ronnie Boyce, Jackie Burkett, they were inside. So, we, you know, we came through together, really. There seemed to be like a little squad of us who were kind of, we, we used to go and visit people's houses, you know, mm. come around for a game of cards tonight out, and all the girls mm. used to go around, there all the lads, and it wasn't drinking or anything like that. It was just mm. a social occasion. Mm. And all those players came through together into the side. And it was just great. We all got married at similar times. Jeff got married in October, and I got married in the November. Johnny Sisters oh, got married at uh, 64. We all seem to get married at the same years mm. and things like that. And John Susan got married a little even earlier than that, and he was younger than us. These days, it seems that professional footballers, especially the star ones like you were at that stage, are very much in demand from the you know, the hot babes of today, as it were. Did you find a lot of women were chasing you lot? Not on that stage. I mean, it was, it was nothing like it is today. Nothing like it at all. In the early days, I mean, I, I guess there were girls around more as the years went on when I went to Spurs and people like that but uh, certainly not in the early days no well at that stage I mean I was just a newcomer to the scene I wasn't a star I mean I I guess you could say star in inverted commas based on when West Ham kind of won the cup Winners Cup when I was in that side and in the cup World Cup final I was married when I was 21 I got married on my 21st birthday Cathy was 19 I mean we look back and think well God, that was young. But, I mean, here we are 33 years on and uh, Mm. we're still here, so stood the test of time, really. Originally, your dad had been a bit resistant to you starting a football career. How did your dad's attitude change when you started making great progress, made your debut for West Ham? He must have been very proud. Well, I guess so, but he was very reluctant to to really praise me. He was always kind of kept me on my toes, really. And always would kind of... Not criticise, that's not the right word, but pick out things that maybe weren't right in my game, he Makes felt, yeah. really. But I guess he, obviously, in, inwardly, he felt that, you know, looking back on the career, that uh, it was a wonderful thing and it was the right decision at the time. Do you think that was a driving force in your career that made you that much better than everyone else because you wanted to prove to your dad and so on? No. No, not at all. I didn't have to prove anything to my dad, really. You know, it was just that... I just love the game. I mean, I'm crazy on the game. You know, I, I, even now on Sunday morning, I read the papers. Why should I read the papers back to front and look, look mm. at this and see who's done this and who's done that? And I have no vested interest in doing it apart from talking to people when I 
do the other jobs that I do. Yeah. No, I just loved it. It was just uh, inbuilt in me. I just loved the game. I wanted to be be as good as anyone else. I wanted to progress. I, I, I worked harder. I stayed out on the training ground later than everyone else. I was there first. I know it sounds like I'm painting myself to be a, a hero, but it, that's the way it was. That's yeah. the way it was. Yeah. I, I loved the game. Yeah. I loved it. Do you think, then, the fact that you worked so hard is, is the reason that you gained so much? I think if people work hard at it and dedicate themselves to it, even if you're a mediocre player, you can make a living out of playing football. If you give 100%, I always quote a player, and I won't quote his name, but basically he couldn't play. He wasn't a good player. But he made a living out of the game, 15 years out of the game, because he was determined not to get beat. He was a, de- he was a defender. Can we do this in chronological order, the teams that you were with till what stage from 20 then? I joined West Ham in 1959 when I was 15. I left there in 1970 when I was 26 and left Spurs in 1975. Obviously went to Norwich in 1975 and left there in 1980. Went to Sheffield United for one year, come back in 81. From Sheffield back to Norwich. Then I was out of football in 81 and uh, I started to do a little bit of PR work up in Norfolk area and did that for about three years, a little bit of coaching kids at holiday centres and things right. like that. And then a company called Motorplan, which is extended warranties on cars, which oh, yes. I knew nothing about, come along and kept asking me to come and work from work from. They were, they were London-based, mm. e- East London, West Ham supporters, basically. Mm. I had no knowledge of what it was all about. Mm. 22 years in football was what mm. I was, and, and wanted to get back in, but mm. had no offers, basically. Mm. Was wasting away in Norfolk, and Cathy said to me, well, why don't you give it a try? I had a six-weeks trial period with the company, and uh, that's 13 years ago. What for you were your football highlights, your career highlights in football? You've not been blase, but it's quite a few. Um, sure. Obviously, the World Cup, you can't beat the World Cup. No, being in the winning team, team, just being yeah. in the squad was a highlight, because mm. I didn't even expect to be in the squad to start mm. with. Obviously, uh, playing for West Ham in the 65 Cup and the Cup final. Mm. I didn't play in the 64 final, so I wasn't in the team then, because I'd been in the team and I got left out, and then I, I got back in 65. So getting back in the team and getting back to Wembley again mm. was brilliant. I have to say that I had five great years at Spurs, played in four Cup finals in five mm. years, winning three of them, and being captain at one stage. Two League Cup finals we won, and a Youth Cup final. And we lost in the Youth Cup final as well. So they were, you know, great days here. We had, we had some good times. And then I went to Norwich. And uh, there was a change of management. Bill Nicholson decided to retire and Terry Neal came in and I decided to leave about nine months after that. And I went to Norwich with John Bond, who I knew at West Ham, and Ken Brown, assistant manager. A bit of a uh, chance, really, going here, I guess, because uh, they were in the second division. They had ten games left in the second division and they were lying third stroke fourth and three went up and it got went down to the wire and you, you'll be amazed when I tell you who were the other three well maybe not one but Sunderland were one of the other three uh, Aston Villa and Man United all in the second division yeah. and in 75 and we came third and went up yeah. so I spent the rest of the time playing for Norwich yeah. the time I was there five years in the first division to go back to 66, you said that you weren't expecting to be in the squad. Why was that? Because I'd only played my first game for England Full International on May the 4th, 1966. And the, the cup final was starting 
late June, early July, wasn't it? Mm. And so it was a very late arrival for me to get a chance to play for England. Not only to play for England, but to also make enough impact to play in the, in the squad. Well, West Ham provided, obviously, the, the creme de la creme in the end of that squad, didn't they? Well, you can say that. No, uh, fortunately, you know, you look at the first game and there was only one person in it, that was Bobby. Mm. Jeff and myself went in the team. Second game, Alf changed it around and I got in the team. Uh, the fourth game, when Jimmy Greaves got injured, Jeff got in the team. Mm. And by the end, we were, obviously, the three of us were in the team. Uh, so it didn't start off that way. How good friends were the three of you at that stage? Uh, well, very good friends. You know, my mm. wife was uh, bridesmaid for, for Jeff and Judith. So that's pretty friendly, I guess. Mm. Um, Bobby was a little bit different. I think he had he was a little bit separate from from us, really. He was a little bit older, not that much older, about two or three years older than me. And he moved in different socialites mm. as, as such, rather than what mm. I did. So, as I said, I was very naive up until I left West Ham and got more openly, outwardly, as far as talking to people and being involved mm. with people. So we were more like the closed ranks of the the ones I said come up together, that, mm. that, that little squad that came up together, mm. and Bobby was another step on from that, really. Mm. Do you think because he was the captain, he was always careful to keep people slightly at arm's distance? No. No, I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, it was just we, we moved, like me and my brother, we moved in different circles. Bobby mm. would be, you know, dining up London, and we mm. wouldn't do things like that, and he would be, you know, that type of thing. Uh, we didn't do that. Uh, that, was, that was the way it was, really. We were just we, different, I guess. Would you say you were quite shy? And that must have been quite difficult with all the people watching you all the time to, to play in front or is it different when you're playing football? Don't even notice it when you're playing football. I mean, it's just uh, sometimes you hear a noise, but everything's blocked out. You're just totally focused on the on the game and what you, what's expected of you and what you want to do in the game. And so the noise or the shyness or naivety, whatever you like to call it, never affected my game. Now, obviously, there was tremendous euphoria when you won the World Cup. Did that make the whole thing blur in your memories, or do you still remember every little detail of it? I remember most of it now because people want to talk about it, and I talk about it. I, I've got into after dinner speaking now over the last two or three years, and that's all I talk about, really, basically, is the World Cup and how it affected me and what happened to me and anecdote stories and things like that. And so it's part of my life on a day-to-day basis, really, even though I work for the London General Holdings on the insurance business. As Jeff says, it gets stronger every year. It's crazy. The I mean, memories get stronger every no, year. No, the World Cup, in, right. you know, for us and, and Jeff and, mm. and all the other lads, people want to hear about it mm. even more and talk about it and it's what happened. That and success, aren't we? I suppose, because yeah. over 32 years it's never been achieved and maybe we will achieve it in France this year. But when we first won it, it was just one of those things that England won a World Cup and there was years that nothing ever was really talked about it that much and it's just got... It's so stronger as the years go on. People want to listen. People are keen to talk to you about it. They always tell you where they were, what they were doing. You know, mm. they were in a bar in Spain with all these Germans, and it was—it's great. To, mm. It's great to actually see their eyes. You know, because their eyes portray what the feelings were. It was wonderful for them, wonderful for us. But you know, for people who were watched it, I think obviously, maybe you know, it was only twenty years after the war. We were playing West Germany, and you know, the older folks in particular meant a hell of a lot to them. What about for you? Did it make you very emotional at the time? Does it make you emotional now? I suppose I get some emotional, but I'm not, I'm not an over-emotional person, really. I'm fairly uh, calm and on the outside, anyway, and don't portray maybe 
until someone upsets me, maybe that's and then I will come out and be quite aggressive. Mm-hmm. But it has to take uh, quite a lot to get that out, and the emotion is the same, really. Unless it was a really deep emotion, I wouldn't most probably show it. But that must have been the deepest emotion of all time, winning the World Cup. Did you shed a tear at any stage, privately or publicly? No. Really? No, no, I didn't didn't cry. No. There wasn't many of them crying. I think Bobby Charlton cried, didn't he? But I don't think there was any that I saw openly crying. It's just a job. No, it's not just a job. It's a wonderful, wonderful occasion, mm. wasn't it? I mean, I see some of the photos and you know, running around mm. Wembley with a cup and things like that is is a, is a wonderful, wonderful memory. Everyone remembers Nobby Star was dancing around, didn't they? Toothless around Wembley and stuff like that. And I have to say, the, the, the boys are wonderful guys as well. We we meet up on fairly regular occasions now, and uh, it's not like a team. It's like family. It really is. What we all went through. And was great because it wasn't just a World Cup. It was when we went to Lillyshaw when there was mm-hmm. 27 players going to be netted down to 22. Five were left out. Mm-hmm. One of them was a West Ham player as well, mm-hmm. Johnny Byrne, Budgie mm-hmm. Byrne. We went to Scandinavia where we played uh, four games in Scandinavia and then we played one game in uh, Eastern Europe, Poland. Mm-hmm. And then we came home for a couple of days and went back to play in the World Cup finals, which lasted three weeks. And you're talking about seven weeks there, roughly, where we were all together as a team. And the bonding and the... A border on love, basically, but it's not love, but it it is an emotional thing that we have, really. Mm. Talking about the World Cup as well, Cathy actually... We lived in Hornchurch. Cathy moved on her own. I went back to another house when I was there. (laughs) We moved house Mm. in mid... World right. Cup. Yeah, I left Hornchurch and ended up going back to um, Parkinside. Right. So she moved all on her own. She was 21 okay. as well, while I was away. Do you wish in a way that the World Cup had happened? I know it couldn't have happened later in your life, but do you wish it had because so you'd appreciate it more? Do you think you, do, you did appreciate it nonetheless? I don't think we did appreciate it, you know, because we were that young and it came so early to us. You know, We didn't really know the impact that it was. Most probably because the media as well and, and people, but uh, as I say, the more time goes on, the more impact is felt by us on what other people felt. Now, you were in a better position than most to say, but did the ball cross the line when Jeff Hurst's second goal? By two yards. <laughs> by two yards? <laughs> I was on a penalty spot and I definitely thought it went over. Right. There's no film, video, whatever you like to call it, saying yes, it definitely went over the line, but I thought it did, I honestly did. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, the linesman said it did, the referee said it did. So you get in games, free kicks, penalty decisions for you, against you. You could say it went for us on the day. Mm. But, you know, I thought it went in. I definitely thought it was in. What was it like when that famous Kenneth Walston home bit, they think it's all over? What were your feelings when he banged that third goal in? Well, it was over then. I mean, I, that's what I talk about when I do the afternoon. I mean, that's yeah, the, that, that's the greatest moment, I think, when the whistle went, when we had achieved everything we set out to do seven weeks pre- previous to that as a squad rather than a team. I mean, it wasn't just a team because we had 22 and three-quarters of the squad didn't play, but they were still meant so much to the teams that were playing. Mm. Albeit that when uh, the day after... We had a, a lunch somewhere in London for ITV, I think. Eamon Andrews was there and did something. And uh, the FA came up, because we were only paid £60 an appearance money. We weren't on anything to win it, uh, which was fine. We didn't mm. even think about it. 
Which is great buy-in for England, you know. £60, well, you know, £60 was quite reasonable money in those days anyway. The FA came to Bobby and Bobby Moore and Bobby Charlton, the senior guys, and said, look, we've got 22 grand here. And we wanted you to split it pro rata to the the, uh, games that are played by each individual. And without any hesitation, lads got together and said, no, we're not having that. You know, it's going to be split £1,000 each, no matter if you played or not. And everyone walked away with £1,000 whether it was Bobby Moore and Bobby Charlton yeah. who played six games mm. or uh, Ron Flowers or Jimmy Arnfield didn't play any. So that was the strength of the team as well. Mm. It was like D'Artagnan all for one and one for all. But that's mm. what it was. And mm. it's still today. It, it mm. still lasts uh, anything. What are your treasured souvenirs from that occasion? Obviously the World Cup medal. We've had a few people deciding to sell them recently, mm. uh, which I'm not against. Uh, George Cohen, if he feels that he wants to sell it, that's fine. Yeah. Mm. Rumours are that uh, Tina Moore is going to sell Bobby's memorabilia. I don't know how true or, or not that is. Uh, that's fine. I mean, who knows what's going to happen around the corner to all of us? I mean, George might be saying it because of his pension and whatever, which is, you know, wants to look after his grandchildren, and so do we all, you know, children and grandchildren. But if uh, Paris the thought you were to get into financial difficulties, would it be the last thing you would sell or? The wife, I think. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's people are asking us quite a lot recently about it, and uh, at the present time, I have no ambitions to sell my World Cup medal at the present time. Have you ever been offered money for it? No. How much do you want? <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting to see what George gets. Actually, yeah. they say between sixty and eighty thousand, but I don't know. It comes up for auction in June, doesn't it? Mm. Christie's, but I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, at the present time. I've got a really good job with the company. I work at West Ham mm. on hospitality on Saturdays. Alternate Saturdays I work at Tottenham. Mm. And I'm involved with afternoon speaking mm. to a lesser degree. But it's still interesting. And, and so at the present time I don't really have mm. to look that far. I mean, the, the problem comes when, which we have thought about, is who gets it? The medal mm. at the end so of the day. Yeah, who hurries it? You know, we've got two kiddies. Well, not kiddies, they're 28 now, as you've seen, but uh, who gets it? And that's a, that is a major problem, really, as much as anything. The shirt. Tell us the story about uh, Yes, I really regret swapping shirts with the Wolfgang Overhoff. Wolfgang Overhoff was a guy I came against on the day. Yeah, we marked each other, basically. He played West Germany schoolboys when I played for England schoolboys at Wembley in '59. He also played West Germany youth against England youth, and he also played for the under-23s against me. So we had this similar situation mm. th- through the years, and uh, I wish I'd kept my shirt, really, now, because mm. I just feel that uh, an English shirt is better than a West German shirt. Mm. But uh, So I've, I tried to get it back at one stage in '96, and I did speak to Wolfgang on somebody's mm. mobile, and he said he would look for the shirt somewhere up in his loft, where his shirt is. Mm. But I managed to find his, but uh, he never came back to me, so I'm disappointed on that one, really. And you're hanging on to his at the time. i still got it, yeah. There's yeah. a few up in the, up in the loft with mm. in the, a couple of cases, you mm. know, where you swap. By, but uh, I've still got quite a few of the English shirts, but uh, quite a few swaps as well. So you were one of the few people who actually changed the shirt that day, because the rest of them kept them today. I don't know, to be honest with you. The normal thing is to swap, isn't it? So mm. maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I really mm. don't know. Choose one moment from the entire seven weeks or whatever that you'll never forget. Well, I can't forget my goal, really. 
it meant so much because it was only my second goal for England. I'd only played about eight times for England, but uh, putting this 2-1 in front with 12 minutes to go, not spectacular, but I was there at the right time and the right place and managed to put it away. It was just uh, like being struck by lightning, really. The the feeling, my fingers were kind of going up and down and everyone was jumping all over me. Banksy was out to the halfway line and it was just wondrous. I guess that was more emotional than the final whistle, but the final whistle just seemed to be more because we'd achieved what, it, what we set out to do. But mm. scoring the goal was uh, quite unbelievable, really. How many caps did you get as a professional footballer altogether, and how many goals did you score? Well, caps, I got 67 full international caps and 20 goals. I got uh, England schoolboy caps, England youth caps, under 23 caps. So I don't know exactly what that would be. I played 365 times for West Ham. I know that because it's how many days in a year. <laughs> I scored 100 goals. I played over 200 games for Spurs and over 200 games for, for Norwich City. Mm-hmm. I guess it's in the realms of 800, over 800, and I scored over 200 goals. For a midfield player, that wasn't too bad, bad. goal ratio. Yeah. When you were playing, you were very much a hero to a lot of people for a long time. Was it very difficult not playing and not being in the limelight anymore, coming down off that adrenaline, as it were? It was quite difficult. Having left Sheffield United when I went up to Sheffield and come back to live in Norwich, I found it, not that I've ever been on them, but like coming off Valium type of type of thing. Mm. Not because I was missing the adulation and the games, it was just missing the part and parcel of being, going to training every day with the lads. Missing the football side, as I said to you before, you know, mm. the football was my life. You know, I went on longer than most people. I was 37 when I packed up. And missing that on a day-to-day basis was quite difficult. And it took me three years to get over it, really, till I joined the company called Motorplan that I mentioned before. Mm. And once I got involved with that, I was totally dedicated to that, like I was dedicated to football. And uh, I came back to live in Essex from Norwich and uh, started another life, really. To what extent did you remain very close friends with your World Cup colleagues? Well, I suppose there was a time where we kind of got quite distant but didn't see each other that often. I think, as I told you, that the because the World Cup gets stronger every year, mm. we seem to, more and more dinners are around, more and more get-togethers and stuff like that for charity organisations and because the, the tragic, tragic thing that has brought us together also is the death of Bobby Moore, mm. which was quite unbelievable as well. How much did you see of him socially, for instance, up until he died? Uh, not a lot. Bobby had his own close friends and uh, he, he lived across the other side of town. I think over the last two or three years of his life, he was aware of what was going to happen to him and he spent a lot of time with his wife, Stephanie. How aware were you? Had you been told at any stage? No, we never knew. We never, I never knew to the last to the last few weeks, really, that, that anything was really... I saw him on many occasions at West Ham or Spurs when I was working there because Bobby worked for Capital Radio and uh, he would be reporting on games and we'd have a chat and a beer after the game and he looked thin but he said he was fine you know and uh, it was just unbelievable when when we heard the news and you couldn't believe it you, know, you thought you, you know you'd never see him again it was just devastating really. did you go to his funeral no it was a private right we went to the memorial service at uh, Westminster Abbey mm. which was a big occasion but uh, the funeral was a private family only Although you weren't close, do you still miss him in a way? Well, we talk about him more now, I think, you know, because mm. he's gone and uh, he comes into my... When I talk to people and I always bring him into the conversation when I'm uh, doing my after-dinners and talk about, you know, what what he was like and that things he did and on the 
playing field and time is a big healer isn't it you know it's five years quite unbelievable five years in the end of this month that uh, he's been gone and uh, I, I thought we might break up as a squad but it hasn't you know being the captain and the leader we still are I guess more together as as ever before really Euro 96 was big and so we had a few dinners here and we got together and it's a few golf days we're playing and, and it's still that bonding is still there How close are you with Jeff these days? Well, we work for the same company to start with. Mm. So no coincidence? Or? No, it, as I told you, when I was offered this job 13 years ago, they also offered the, the to Jeff as well, and we both decided to take it on. And uh, we've kind of been on that side of the business, uh, working in, to that side for the last 13, 14 years. So I see Jeff on a regular basis. Once again, he's quite heavy into the afternoon so sometimes mm. we work together on that we both work at West Ham on match days because he was also mm. does a, a similar thing in the Bobby Moore stand so I see him on you know two or three times a week Do you actually like to get together with Jeff and reminisce or do you tend not to do that you just talk about business and We don't tend to reminisce ourselves <coughs> together mm. no it's always a business or anything outside of business with the football or whatever mm. it's, it's not uh, reminiscing about the World Cups or anything mm. like that I think maybe we do it when we get together with the whole squad or, you know, maybe half a dozen or eight of us, whatever there is. We may talk about it the odd occasion then, but certainly not Jeff and myself wouldn't talk about it. Is there any rivalry between you and Jeff Hurst? I mean, do you mind the fact that he scored three goals and you scored one? Or? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, that happened uh, many years ago. People said that mm. when I left West Ham that that was the, one of the reasons, but that wasn't oh, never the reason. So no, no. no, we got him very well. What about Sir Alf? Do you still see him at all, keep in touch with him? Uh, I saw Alf... Because I'm the nearest to Alf, you see. He lives in Ipswich. Geographically, uh, you're the nearest. Yes, yeah. which is about half an hour away from us. And uh, I saw him about nine months ago. I went down and knocked on his door, and he answered the door, and he came, oh, you know, it was a surprise. And he looked very well. Yeah, he plays a bit of golf. We had a chat, and we had a little conversation, and uh, was there for about half an hour, and he looked very well. Have you always looked upon him as something of a father figure, in a way? No. No, you've only got one father, isn't you? Alf was a tremendous manager as far as I was concerned. He didn't have to say too much to get, to get you going. You know, it was very... One word would do. What word was that, much? Well, I tell you, Jeff tells this in his afternoon, it's a true story. You know, the, the, the team would be playing a game and uh, the night before, they'd be all, all in the hotel watching television mm. in, in a special room we had. Mm. And Alf would walk into the room and say, Good night, gentlemen. And that was it. Ten o'clock, bed. Everyone was gone. All right, you just sent up to bed. Yeah. Right. And everyone. That was gone. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Right. And everyone just. It wasn't Sergeant Majorist, but it was. Yeah. You knew where you stood, and mm. but you also knew that uh, if there was a, someone where Alf needed to help you, you knew he was the first man to do it for you. Mm. So that was a tremendous camaraderie between mm. Alf and the players. It's 32 years now since that 66 success and we haven't really done as well as we perhaps should have done. Do you feel that England have disappointed it since then? A lot of people said the 70 side was better and I was fortunate enough to play the 70 side as well. When we lost uh, to West Germany, it was just we didn't play on the day. We were 2 up and lost 3-2. Human error came into it, which is we're all fallible on that. Mm. And it just wasn't our turn. Um, 74, I was still in the side then, and we, we couldn't beat Poland at Wembley. And if you remember that game when yeah. we drew 1 1, and we should have won at least by five. 
the odds were stacked against us then. And then, then I was out of it from then, and Alf got the sack, and uh, Don Revy took over. Uh, he had his own brand of playing. Ron Greenwood took over then, and, you know, we were out of... Out of uh, Where do you think your heart lies in... West Ham, or is it still divided? You're not quite sure. Dodgy question, really, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think I'm prepared to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> there, is a, there is an answer, but you're not going to give it. No. Well, I say Norwich then. Right, just, just to keep out of trouble. <laughs> I have a lot of affection for all the clubs I've played mm. for. Um, I, unhappily, I didn't wasn't successful at Sheffield United at the end of my career, and that kind of still rankles with me. But uh, for the other three clubs, I have a lot of affection for the clubs and the supporters. And I had some great times at all three clubs, for different reasons, really. I'd like to see them all doing well. When did you last play football in any way? I played in a charity game almost two years ago now. I used to play reasonably regularly with the Ex-Spurs. have got quite a good side. Ex-Spurs. Ex-Spurs team, which is run by Martin Shivers. He's got some good players, and they, they play pretty regularly. There's also like a charity side that's kind of West Ham-ish. Uh, with about two or three ex-players in, and but you got some Nick Berry plays, Ray Winston, Iron Maiden, <laughs> and it's more difficult to play with those guys because they, laugh. Ca- they don't laugh; they're serious, but they can't play. Not, oh, no, yeah. that's wrong. They're not as good as a professional player. If you play with an ex-professional player, that, maybe they can't run, but they can control it and oh, they can yeah. pass it. Yeah. So it's a lot more easier. So it's quite difficult at times. Because if I play, I want to win, you see. Sure, yeah. It's still in there that I want to win. I don't want to play. I don't want to play in a game 13-9. But I still get tempted. And I've started to do a little bit of on the treadmill, mm-hmm. thinking, might have my one game. The trouble is, with me, I don't want to play one half. I want to play the whole game. Yeah. And I'm 54. I mean, you know, it's not. It's a reasonable age, isn't it? But you miss so, it, don't you? I do like that, yeah. But I've learned not to miss being involved, because mm-hmm. you know, I'm too busy. But I wouldn't mind having the odd game. I keep saying to Cathy, you know, um, I must play cricket one more season. <laughs> so I played cricket when I was 18, 19. How often do you watch the old videotape of, of 66? Very rarely. Almost not at all, really, now, mm. I guess. When you do see it, and when you see particularly that picture of Bobby Moore on your shoulders and Jeff Hurst's shoulders, as well, what goes through your mind then? Being proud, I guess. Proud and privileged to be part of it, because it's part of the heritage of English football. As, as well as not expecting to be part of it, it was a big kind of uh, Roy the Rovers for me and Jeff to a degree as well. He'd only got in the side two or three games prior to that. Mm. So, you know, it was just a wonderful occasion for me and looking back to be proud and part of it and to have meant so much to so many people mm. that England won the World Cup and I was part of that. How do you think the 66 team would have coped against the 98 team? I don't think we'd had a problem. I think we would have won. <laughs> now, we, we the difference, uh, in my opinion, obviously, is that in '66 we had five world-class players. I don't think England today have five world-class players. I think they may have, may have two, but we had five: Bobby Moore, Bobby Charlton, Gordon Banks, goalkeeper. Most people for the next one wouldn't really know the name that well, but he was certainly a world-class player. And that was Ray Wilson, who played left back. Wonderful, wonderful player. That's four. And the fifth didn't play in the final. That was Jimmy Greaves. And uh, you have to say that his record for England uh, is so superior than any others. Bobby Charlton is only the leading goal scorer based on his... He played 
40 more games than Jimmy. But Jimmy got injured and then wasn't in the side. Alf decided not to pick him. Um, but he was still a world-class player. So that's your five. Who would you say are the two current world-class players then? Well, I think uh, you've got to go for Shearer and uh, David Seaman. I would think he's, a, he's one of the outstanding goalkeepers in the world today. So apart from that, I don't think there's any other world-class players. And that's the difference between the side in 66 and the side now. In recent years, the big England stumbling block has always been Germany, and yet you managed to beat them in 66. What is the secret of beating Germany, do you think? Germany are a class act, aren't they? No matter where they go, unfortunately, they do well. They've won the World Cup, I don't know, two or three times. They've been in finals, they've been in semi-finals, the European champions. They are a good side, and they peak at, seem to peak at the right time. They're well organised, which is typical German, isn't it? Organisation. They're solid, they don't give much away. Their play is not like England, and it's not like the English, I should say, and it's not like South America, and it's a combination of both, really, which makes them most probably one of the greatest nations of football there's been, apart from Brazil, maybe. So you don't think it's necessarily a psychological problem as far as England's concerned? Well, they've only been us on penalties, haven't they? We've just got to sharpen our penalty taking, really, in the last mm. two occasions, in, in 90 and then 96 in Euro 96. So we've matched them for 90 minutes, or however long it is, but we haven't been able to beat them on penalties. You know, we're, we're not far off them, and if, they, if we played them again, it would be a very tight game, and it would go one way or the other. What do you like when you're watching England on the telly these days? Do you shout at the television? Do you throw slippers at it and things? No, not really. I'm fairly uh, <laughs> laid back, but I, was, I don't go to Wembley that often, but I did go to Wembley two games last year. That was the Scotland game. Euro 96, I should say, and also uh, the Germany game. Frustration, I get, as much as any other supporter who supports in England and watching from afar and can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't like to be critical as an ex-player on anyone, whether it's West Ham Spurs or Norwich or whoever. So I tend to keep my thoughts to myself, really. But it does get frustrating when you feel that other things can happen. Do the current players ever come to you for advice or do you ever go to them and sort of give them a bit of inspiration? The answer is no, basically. I, I very rarely see the current players at any any level, really. So the answer is no, really. You never went into management, did you, which is unusual? Well, if you can call three months, not management. I was manager of Sheffield United for three months, from February to May, 81. I went there as player coach under Harry Haslam and then they decided to offer me the job and moved Harry downstairs and I took the job. It was most probably a mistake taking the job. It was a mistake going because I, I should have stayed at Norfolk because I might have done better there. But uh, it was a mistake because I just took the job without looking into the maybe problems that, that was in within the club and the players and things like that. So. Did that three months put you off management for life? No, no, really. I mean, I quite enjoyed it, although the team went down in the end. The last game of the season, we got relegated. Mm. I didn't enjoy that. In fact, that still haunts me today. But uh, I quite enjoyed being taking the training, getting involved and being able to do what I wanted to do with the team and things like that. Prior to that, I was under Harry Haslam and he obviously dictated what, mm. what was going to happen. And I quite enjoyed it, but um, through one thing or another, I decided to resign. Mm. And uh, that was the last uh, time I've been involved in football, 81. Have you ever been asked to be a manager since then? No. Would you like to have been? Like to stay I would have liked to have had another go because I don't like to be a failure or anything. And I consider I was a failure at Sheffield United through lack of experience, mainly, but also lack of backup. But the experience I had there would have 
still be in good stead. But I, I never put myself about. That's maybe a lack of uh, getting back into the game. I never kind of toted myself around. I went back to live in Norfolk, which, which maybe was a mistake. If I wanted to get back into football, maybe I should come back to live in London and been where the other clubs were, because Norwich was only one club. So, Would you like your career to have been in football throughout? I would like to, yeah. I'd like to have been continuing. I would not preferred it, because I mean, everything's turned out very well for me, mm, and I can't yeah. say that it hasn't. You know, mm. But uh, football was my life and living for 22 years, and mm. and I always thought I could have done something in, in that side of the business. People say I'm not hard enough, but people don't really, really know me inside. If you were offered a role now, would you? No, it's too late now. You didn't make half as much money as you would have done these days, would you? I mean, you'd be a multi-millionaire now, wouldn't you? Well, possibly, but that doesn't bother me. It honestly doesn't. uh, People always say that to me. Don't you wish you were playing now? And my answer is yes, I wish I was still playing. That's the reason I wish I was playing, because that was the the pump that drove me, just Mm. to be able to Mm. run out there on a Saturday afternoon. Mm. That's what my whole life was about in those Mm. days. And just to play would have been reward enough. And of course all the rewards that come with it. I mean, in uh, in those days we were far better paid than Joe Bloggs in the street. I wouldn't have been in the World Cup winning team if I hadn't been in that era. Mm. So I look at it that way, really. I mean, nowadays, I mean, life is very good. I can't complain about the life, as I said to you before, the job and the, mm. the after-work dinners and working at Tottenham and West Ham. I earn much more money now than I ever did at football. What are your hopes for the future? Getting around, unfortunately now, to think, well, when are we going to retire? And looking at things like that, really, that's the future now. Mm. It's uh, making sure that everything's okay for when I pack up working, which is not easy, I guess, to kind of put everything in place and think in maybe five, six years' time that uh, we're looking to to maybe take it a bit bit easier. I would hope to kind of retire about 60 and maybe then do some... Whether West Ham and Spurs would still want me at that stage, Mm. I don't know, but... But that's what I'm looking now. You look into the future, really. But one doesn't know what's around the corner, do one? You know. And uh, will you be going to France this summer? At the moment, a couple of uh, companies have asked us to go and do some work there. So I guess we will go to some games, but uh, just really on the working side rather than just for pleasure. Would you like to go there? You're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'm not always that bothered about going, to be honest with you. Mm. I don't always go to Wembley. Why? Not the same magic anymore? No, not really. Perhaps he's got to get away from Wembley. and Perhaps I haven't got quite the enthusiasm. Perhaps he's just making the effort. Perhaps he's just getting old. <laughs> but I like to watch him and like to see him do well. But uh, but when I went to Wembley last, uh, when I saw Scotland and Germany, it was a tremendous atmosphere. I really enjoyed that. Because when they walked out against Scotland, there was such a unbelievable noise because mm. the song Three Lions... I was going to ask was, you about was, your song. It was quite big, yeah. Do you ever play uh, that song anymore? Perhaps you should listen to our, our answering machine. So you've got a bit of back home on there, have you? Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. It's newly done by my wife and daughter. Oh, right. <laughs> they change it every now and again to some kind of unusual. And people tend to ring up and think, I can't be my piece number. They <laughs> put the phone down, they try it again, and it is. Thank Do you, you feel ashamed of that record? No, I'm proud of it. Well, it was a good fun. Well, to be number one, I always say to people, well, I was number one once, <laughs> on top of the pops, dancing with pants, people. You can't get much more than that, can you, really? You got so the MBE, you. didn't you? Got the MBE in 78, services mm. to football. And how proud were you then? Oh, it was a great day, wonderful day. To the meet the Queen, the yeah, the Buckingham Palace. How does winning the World Cup rate in highlights of your life? Is it the greatest moment of your life? Football in life, yes. 
I wouldn't say it was the greatest moment of my life because getting married, it was obviously at 21, uh, having the kids. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, they are the highlights, really. Football is really secondary to all of that. And how would you like to be remembered as a footballer? Well, people always say, oh, I'd be 10 years ahead of your time tagged by Alf Ramsey. People would normally bring that up. Some people call me the ghost because they call me the ghost. Uh, I can't see no more than really uh, playing in the World Cup, helping England to win the World Cup, being a skillful player, scores goal from midfield, a different type of player to the to the to the norm, I guess. Which had it fours and against, and people don't know how how much I wanted to win as well. Being kind of more of an artistic player, I was still kind of uh, wanted to win as desperately as everybody else. And as a human being, how would you like to be remembered that way? Difficult question that, isn't it, really? Uh, one never knows what people look at you, do they? No, I wouldn't know what uh, someone who knew me thought about me. It's a difficult one. I've always been tried to be helpful. I mean, we've all got our faults. I'm a, sometimes I uh, get aggressive and upset people if I'm really pushed, but that's very far and few between. I would like to think I was friendly to people and help people along the way whenever I could.